Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. I'm going to give uh, the rest of the guys the rest of the year off, because I'm just that kind of guy. So that means it's just you and me, the way you like it best. <laughs> I've only got a couple of things we want to talk about here on the, uh, the last podcast of 2022, and what a year it's been. I want to thank all of you for listening to all of our fine podcasts this year. It's nice to know that there are people out there who actually uh, who actually like to hear what we have to say. And if you did, if you get a chance, if you haven't got a chance yet, listen to the year-end roundtable with me and David Brown and Mike Donahue and Mike Pusateri, recorded a couple of weeks ago. It was the first time all four of us had been on the pod at the same time, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Mostly, we talk about the Cubs in this one. We take a look at the roster, what they've got. And if the season started today, it'd be a surprise to all of us because <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's winter. Uh, what would they have? What kind of team could they field? And uh, But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about the Bears. There was a lot of talk. Our good friend David Kaplan is, is pro shut down Justin Fields for the rest of the season. The only thing that can happen is that he can get hurt. He could get run over by a car, right? I mean, it would be it would be typical Bears if they if they took, if they sat him for the last two games. Figured, look, you proved you're a franchise quarterback. You're one of the best players in the league. Uh, we got to evaluate the other guys, but in reality, there's nobody else to evaluate. <laughs> Most of this roster isn't going to be there next year, hopefully. And it would be just typical Bears if they sat him 
and he got hit by like the injury cart on the sidelines and broke both of his legs. So just let him play. As frustrating as it was to watch the game against the Bills where the Bears clearly just didn't want Justin to run, and he got dumped on his shoulder early in the game, on his left shoulder again. You could tell he hurt it again. Probably not injured it again, but it reminded him that, oh, yeah, my left shoulder hurts and has for a while. They just kind of said, screw that. But he's got stuff he needs to work on. You know, he's he's a great runner. He's not the below-average quarterback that Hub said he was in his, <laughs> his triumphant return to the airwaves. But there's things he needs to work on. And I know he's going to have crap receivers because the few competent ones that they have are all out. Um, reps aren't going to hurt him. Plus, there's this whole idea that... Um, if you don't play him, what, we got to watch Nathan Peterman? I really don't want to do that. I am confident that the Bears can lose to the Lions with or without Nathan Peterman. So I might as well let Justin Fields do it. Because in reality, we, as much as we may not like Yeehaw, Dan Campbell, the overly caffeinated um, meathead head coach of the Detroit Lions, we really need the pack, or the, uh, we really need the Lions to win this week because that makes the Packers' unlikely road to the playoffs that much harder. It would actually set up, worst-case scenario, a winner gets the seventh spot of the playoffs for the final week, Packers-Lions. If the two mediocre NFC East teams were currently ahead of the Packers take care of business this weekend, then it doesn't matter. The Packers, uh, hey, we're beating all the crap teams on our schedule, except for the Dolphins, who we're beating because... Uh, their quarterback was concussed the whole second half, and he kept throwing the ball to the wrong team. If the Giants beat the mighty Colts on Sunday, uh, that gets them to 9-6-1, and one, and there's no way uh, the Packers can catch them. And if the Commanders, who for whatever reason have gone back to Carson Wentz, at quarterback, if they beat Cleveland, they'll be 8-7-1, and one, meaning the worst they could finish would be 8-8-1. Eight, eight and one. Um... And so the Packers, who are currently 7-8. and eight, um, Wait a minute. <laughs> I should work this through. I guess the Commanders would have to win. If the, if the Packers lose to the Vikings, they're basically screwed. If they lose and the Commanders win, it's over. They can't make the playoffs. And that would actually put the Lions in better shape. Anyway, what I'm saying is, we really don't want the Packers to make the playoffs. So... Not that they're going to do any damage. It's just annoying if they get in. They're not good. They'll play a first-round game probably against the Vikings, um, who they actually play on Sunday. So it's, it behooves the Vikings to just beat them and end the charade. Uh, otherwise, that's who they're going to get in the first round and most likely bludgeon. Although they are the Vikings, and it is Kirk Cousins, and who knows. Uh, let's just end that crap. If you're wondering why I didn't write a Bears recap and we didn't do a Bears recap podcast uh, this week, uh, it's it wasn't because of this, but because I knew I wasn't going to do either. I didn't even see the second half of the game. I haven't recorded. I haven't watched it. I always watch highlights. I had to leave at halftime uh, to go to to go to my uh, family's Christmas Eve uh, thing. So. I had to listen, and you know how much I love it. I had to listen to Jeff Joniak at Tom Thayer. And it was a lot of me driving down 90 screaming, you know, where's the ball, Jeff? 
I felt like uh, Brad Pitt at the end of Seven instead of what's in the box. It was, where is the ball? Where is the ball? Because you never know. And he, he takes it to absurd lengths. There was a uh, uh, Nicholas Morrow's interception. He he gave you every descriptive thing about it except for where Morrow caught the ball, how many yards he gained, and where he ended up. So I knew that the Bears had the ball, but I had no idea where because he just wouldn't say it. He told me what offensive players in the Bills tackled Nicholas Morrow. He's obsessed with who's making the tackle. It's I don't quite understand it. But anyway, so uh, I I literally wasn't sure what the score was when I got to my sister and brother-in-law's. I knew it was 35 to something. But I had even had to guess at that. 35-13, Bears lose. Uh, despite uh, putting up a, a one-half fight against one of the best teams in the AFC. That's one thing about the the fighting Eberfluses. They, uh, you have to beat them. They, they keep coming. But they're bad. So you do beat them, eventually. Um, will it hurt their psyches if they lose the last two games of the season, meaning they finish on this ridiculously long uh, franchise worst uh, losing streak? I don't care. Because like I said, I don't expect hardly any of these guys to still be there. And thanks to uh, Levy Smith riling up the Texans, there's a chance. Texans, with another win, if the Bears lose out, the Bears have the number one pick in the draft. And that's a pretty big luxury to have, to have the number one pick and not need to draft a quarterback. You can take the very best player in the draft, obviously, regardless of position. Or, even better, there's a lot of quarterback-desperate teams who will be throwing extra draft picks at you. You get their first-rounder, and you get other stuff. And a Bear team that is at a huge talent deficit, it would be basically winning the lottery if they ended up with the first pick, even the second pick. Uh, if they end up with one or two, and if they lose the last two games, they're guaranteed at least the two. Um, it'll give them a lot of ammo to jumpstart the rebuild. On the draft side, we already know how much cap room they have. Uh, plus, they made that great trade for Chase Claypool, and I think I think Chase made the Pro Bowl, didn't he? With all the his four catches he's made for the Bears so far this year, but I don't know. We were so excited about Chase for like a week. <laughs> That's like, uh, maybe we know why the Steelers traded him. But hey, there's no reason to give up on him. He's got a lot of talent, and uh, I'm sure a whole a, a fresh off season, an entire off season, in the Luke Getzey offense. He'll be the new Megatron. It'll be great. Alright, enough about the Bears. So let's talk about the Cubs. Uh, their flurry of activity. They have added uh, Cody Bellinger on a one-year deal to play center field. They have added Jamison Tyon to be their number two, number three starter on a three-year deal. And they gave... Dansby Swanson, seven years, $177 million. So once again, the Cubs have found a player that the Braves are like, nah, and they're paying him like a star, and he's not going to be a star. Although I do think he'll be a pretty good player for them. Um, will he ever earn the $177 million? No. Should we really care? No. 
except for the fact that the garbage family that owns the Cubs will be... Uh, it will matter to them if he doesn't turn into a star, because they'll be like, Jed, you're paying this guy a lot of money, and he's only okay. How about this? Just don't ever pay anybody a lot of money. Because they're all the same. Which is not exactly true. So they've added Dansby. Uh, they also added my favorite catcher, good old fucker Barnyard. I mean, Tucker Barnhart, um, from the, who, formerly of the Reds and the Tigers, um, who really hasn't been very good for two full seasons now. But I'm sure that the Cubs will turn him around. How about the fact that the Cubs not only sure they fired all their hitting coaches, uh, but they they kept him this time. Greg Brown, who got thrown out the door, as has crawled back in, and he's going to have a role with the team. And old buddy John Malley. Best known for fixing Jason Hayward <laughs> uh, is back, so he can fix Cody. So that'll be great. Uh, so anyway, I thought we'd go around the uh, lineup and we take a look at uh, what the Cubs have and where the gaping holes are. Some of those gaping holes have people in them, which is uh, kind of sad, but they're still gaping. And one thing I want you to think about while we're doing this, we'll get to this uh, when we're done going around the roster. How many Gold Glove winners do the Cubs have on their current team? Because it's more than you think. So just give that some thought. And what might you win if you guess the right number? Uh, nothing. You know, subscribe to the newsletter. <laughs> Treat yourself. That's what you win. All right, so let's take a look here at... Uh, let's start with first base. And... I don't know if you noticed this or not. You probably didn't. But uh, the next Mark Grace, Alfonso Rivas, has been DFA'd. The Cubs DFA'd him uh, Christmas Eve. <laughs> Merry, I'm sure he thought Jed was calling to wish him a Merry Christmas. Instead, he said, you're off the roster. But here's the, here's the thing about the Cubs and their roster crunch that they're always under. This terrible roster crunch. All this talent. Where are they going to put it all? He's going to clear waivers. Uh, I'm sure he can get a minor league invite. And he still have a chance to make the Cubs opening day roster because he's now the 12th player that they've had to DFA this year, this offseason. Uh, exactly zero of them have been claimed by other teams. So don't, you don't really have to say goodbye to Alfonso just yet, although I really would be quite happy to do that. So, But let's not count him yet. Um, so if, if the season opening day, who's the first baseman? Is it it's Patrick Wisdom? Really? The guy whose value really is in the fact that he can do two things. He plays a good defensive third base, and he hits home runs, and he's, but everything else he sucks at. He strikes out and doesn't walk. And, uh, he strikes out. Did I mention that? Because he does that a lot. You're playing at first. Awesome. Things are going <laughs> right off the bat. Things are going great. Um, we'll talk about there are still free agent first basemen out there. No good ones. <laughs> But there are still free agent first baseman. Second base, I think the biggest beneficiary, or is that the right word? Yeah, I guess it is. Um, of the Dansby Swanson signing is that it moves Nico Horner to second base, where I think he's even better. He was a good shortstop, but I think he's a, I think he's a really good second baseman. I think he has a chance to be one of, if not the best second baseman, certainly all around, in the National League. So I like the fact that he's going to second gives you an adult-sized second baseman, which is nice. It should be a good double-play combo with Dansby. 
So it's good. They're set. Second base. Hey, we got one. Good job. Shortstop is going to be Dansby Swanson. He made all but six plate appearances for the Barbs last year at shortstop in the 162 games that he played. So not only did he play every game, he basically took every at-bat. And he was good. It was his best year that he's ever had. And it came in his free agent year. Good, good timing. Uh, even at his best, which he was last year, he's just kind of okay. At least at the plate. He hits more homers than he used to, which is good. He strikes out a shit ton. Doesn't get on base very well. Uh, he's a very, He is a good defensive shortstop, and so that will help the Cubs there. Cubs are good defensively up the middle with him and Nico. Um, should they have spent a little more per year and gotten one of the better shortstops? Of course they should have. Did they? No, they didn't. But that's fine. We got him for good or bad for the next seven years. It's the biggest free agent contract, as Chip Carey reminded us on the marquee interview the other day, that the Cubs have uh, had on a position player since Jason Hayward. Oh. Just because they're both Braves, just because they were both overpaid, doesn't mean they won't work out. I mean, you can't you can't hang the Hayward contract around Dansby's neck. Yet. <laughs> We'll see what happens. Uh, is signing Dansby Swanson better than not signing anybody and having Nico at second and the little dwarf at, or Nico at short and the little dwarf at second base? Yes, it's better. So, at least there's that. So, at third base, given the current roster, that would be Christopher Morell. Really? Every day at third base. That doesn't seem like a good idea. I like Morell. I think he could be a valuable player on a team, even a team like the Cubs. But I like him more. He's a very versatile player, and you'd like to use the versatility instead of locking him down at... um, I mean, if you figure he's a guy who can play all three outfield spots, second, third, and short. Short is clearly his worst position. He was pretty scary there. (laughs) Just throwing the ball really hard. That seemed to be the only skill he had at shortstop. He's not too bad at second. He's not a great third baseman. Um, Which I think, ironically though, I think that might be the position he played the most in the minors. Um, It's passable. You'd really like to have a situation where if Morell is playing a fair amount of third, you had somebody else you were comfortable with there. Maybe it's wisdom, but that would require getting a first baseman. So you can pick your spots a little better with Morell offensively, because he's still pretty limited offensively. I mean, he has a lot of tools. It's the old lot of tools and no toolbox thing. Uh, I have, I think he could become a really good player, and he was a better player last year than I think we had any reason to believe he would be. Um, but going into the season with him as your regular third baseman seems dumb, to put it mildly. Um, Going around the uh, the outfield uh, in right field is uh, our buddy Seiya Suzuki, who all in all had a pretty good first season. He started off great, and then he slumped, and then he hurt his finger in Cincinnati, which is a thing that the Cubs like to do. And then, of course, the finger injury was misdiagnosed by the doctor. Go figure. And so instead of, first they didn't put him on the injury list at all, then it was, oh, it'll be a minimum stay, and then it was weeks <laughs> before he was able to finally come back. 
He came back, he didn't play very well. Then he... Um, but he finished really strong. So that was a good sign. Say, uh, um, actually finished really well. He was a key, huge key to their uh, very prestigious fifth best record in the National League after the All-Star break. Um, but you got to feel good about him coming into the season. I think he's got a chance to be, to be a very good player. So right field, hey. So right now, second base shortstop in right field, you feel okay about. Center field is uh, Cody Bellinger. And um, he is the best, if he does nothing, he's the best center fielder they've had since Dexter Fowler. That's how, that's how bad things have been since Dexter left. So you've got Cody there, which is uh, better than nothing, I guess. If that's really what you're looking for. So the Cubs will be trying to rehabilitate his... Uh, bat, which has been bad ever since he screwed up his shoulder celebrating a home run in the World Series, which is just the most... He was destined to be a Cub when that happened. And they've got all their hitting coaches back, even John Malley. So I'm sure that'll fix fix him just the way he fixed Jason Hayward. Left field is our gold glove coffee salesman, Ian Happ, who I, I ran the numbers in the column I wrote the other day where I was showing where the Cubs were ranking positionally and wins above average. And Ian Happ played most of the time in left field. There were just a few at-bats, Jackson Frazier and Nelson Velazquez and Morrell and a few other guys. They had the number one wins above average in left field in the National League. So um, I still don't think that that's a gold glove left fielder. And you'd really like to see him get back to the power he showed before last year. Uh, I think that's a pretty valuable player. If he can if he really stabilized his average from both sides of the plate and he hit some home runs, he'd have a pretty good player there. I think they're going to end up with a tough decision on him though at the trading deadline because it's not a good free agent class at all. And the Cubs have, uh, have not been able to entice him with a long-term contract mostly because until last year he was he was just so up and down he was really bad in 21 you know he had been benched before the trade deadline and then all of a sudden he had to play because they needed at bats and he put together a pretty good finish there was no reason for them to offer him a long-term deal now he's a year away and i think he probably wants to be a free agent and they may have to trade him at the deadline just to get something for him but at least going into the season that's your outfield. So you have a full outfield, which is nice. That's kind of essential to baseball. And 40% of an infield. And then a catcher, you have the decaying remnants of Jan Gomes and the, uh, the struggling brilliance of Tucker Barnhart. Um, the Cubs were middle of the road wins above average at catcher last year because of Wilson. He was good. And I don't know if you've noticed, he's not around anymore. So there is not the same... uh, uh, There won't be the same production behind the plate. And I'm sure they'll tell you, well, the defense will be just so much better that 
that'll make up for it. It's here's a spoiler alert. It's not going to make up for it. The Cubs are going to have far less production at the catcher than they had the last few years. And I don't know really where they've made up for it. Maybe second base. I guess center field, even if Cody's bad. But you know, if the whole idea is that you were going to be better this year, you have to be better at several positions. And getting worse at catcher, for no reason other than the fact that you just decided that you really didn't want to uh, pay him, doesn't seem like the, the best idea. Then you get to DH, and you don't have one. Honestly, if the, if they had to play a game today, the DH, I'm 99% positive, would be Nick Madrigal. I mean, what the fuck? What are we do? What are we doing here? If that's if that's what we're <laughs> if that's what we're gonna have designated hitting. Now, I've said all along that I do think that they're. There's a 99% chance that uh, Fran Mill Reyes comes back and gets a minor league invitation and probably ends up being the DH. But is that good? He was good for like a week after the trade, and then he was back to not being. And I'd really like for Nick to spend a lot of time in Iowa and then go somewhere else. I don't really want to see him DHing. I just... The Cubs got surprisingly... They, they, they had better production at DH than I thought. A lot of that, I think, was uh, Wilson. Although he was a he was a better offensive player as a catcher than he was as a DH. But if you're going to go with Madrigal, you're going to go with a guy with a career OPS of 692. A, a career slugging of 355. It's going to be like having the, the pitcher's bat again. So there's that. So you're going to have to find somebody. Uh, who have they got for the bench right now? Nelson Velazquez, the guy that David Ross is clearly not terribly enamored with. And there were some rumblings that uh, um, Nelson, people would ask basically why Nelson didn't play more. And the the reason, although maybe not explicitly given, because why would you do that, was... Nelson didn't work very hard. <laughs> you know, there was this, there were bats to be had, and he just seemed to be happy to be there and taking up that spot on the bench where Fran Mill had to actually go tape it off because Nelson was always sitting in it. Um, there's some tools there again, so maybe the, an off season and a kick in the ass and Nelson becomes a a useful player. I don't know. There are the um, the twin uh, mediocrities of Miles Mastroboni. And Zach McKinstry. There, at least for now, is not David Bodie. He's off the 40-man. You don't need to put him back on it. You do need to still pay him. But I would... It, wouldn't it be nice if we never had to watch that dumbass play again? And that's about it. There's still a lot up in the air. You know, I don't, There are no young guys who are ready. I mean, Brennan Davis isn't a threat to make the opening day roster, even in the best case scenario where he comes to spring and he's good and looks actually healthy. You know, he's you're doing him a disservice. He's got to go to Iowa and play for a while. A couple of months at least. And that's the best case scenario. Um, So the Cubs are going to need to still 
add just to field an opening day team. So if we're looking at who they might still be able to get, because let's say you add a first baseman and then you kick um, Wisdom back across the diamond to third, where now he's taking the bulk of the at-bats at third. And that allows Morell to get more of a utility role. Um, because the Cubs have injury, you know, as while you've got Dansby, who has played every day the last two years, I think, 332 of the possible 334 games. Am I doing that math right? He's played, so he's been he's been very good. Um, Bellinger has missed a lot of games with injury. Saya missed a lot of games with injury last year. Nico was healthy last year, but he's had injury issues. Um, there are going to be at bats for Morell, uh, and you're going to need him at other spots. So if you sign a first baseman, you can at least put Wisdom over at third. You'd still really like to go find a real third baseman. But at least for now, that would work. That still doesn't fix DH. Because honestly, if you make Wisdom the DH, I don't know what you're doing. Because the his usefulness comes from the fact that you get above, you get above average power at third base in a good defensive third baseman. If you're DH'ing him and you're only getting the home runs and the strikeouts, I, just, I don't think it's helping you all that much. You know, he's got defensive value, and he needs it to have va real value to a team. And how about the fact that two years later we're still having to try to find... We're still having to play Patrick Wisdom. But the first basemen that are available... When Trey Mancini is the, by far the best on your list, that's not a good list. Um, said it before about Trey, he's a hell of a guy. He's been a productive player, but um, he's probably the worst. He's probably the the lesser of all evils <laughs> right now, an available first baseman. Not a real good defensive first baseman. Um, he's probably passable in left and... Nick Castellano-esque and right. Um, but he's still a guy that I think, honestly, I think the, the offseason is to the point where if the Cubs didn't sign him, you'd be disappointed because even though he's not really good, it's it's at least a semi-competent player over there at first and a guy who, um, God forbid, he will not block Matt Mervis if Mervis actually proves that he's ready. And I have a lot of doubts about that. Um, who knows? I mean, maybe maybe he really is such a talent that he blew through Class A, Double A, AA, and Triple A last year, and now he's really ready to go. Albert Pujols-esque. And be a, be a dominant, everyday uh, offensive player. I think more likely... You know, on a real organization, you'd want him to repeat some of that in the minors this year. And then be like, you know what? He really is ready. Let's go. As of right now, with the roster they currently have, you'd put him on it. Like he, on this current roster, he really would be your first baseman. That seems a little uh, reckless. Isn't the word dumb? I think is more of the word. It would, so that's why you would like to find a guy like Mancini who could play first base, 
but then still have some utility to you as a DH although, or as a backup corner outfielder if Mervis comes up and you're like, holy crap, the kid's good. Let's keep, let's play him. Because you don't want to block him, but you, you're, na- you're naive if you're like, got to keep that spot open for him. What you need is somebody who can go into that spot who then, best case, can just move to a different position and still help you. And that, I guess that would be Mancini. Because the other guys on the list are, you know, Fat Dom Smith, who uh, everybody's like, oh, you can play the outfield. Can he? Really? Uh, he's a left-handed bat. Uh, the Mets are like, somebody please take him. Uh, one-legged Brandon Belt, who, if he were healthy, you could say this about him, if he were healthy, he would be a pretty useful player. Uh, good defensive first baseman, lefty with some pop. But if he were healthy, he'd, if, he's, if he's really healthy enough to play, he's going to play for the Giants because they still need a first baseman. And why would he want to leave there? So if he's really available, it's a bad sign, I think. Basically, it's one of those where if Brandon Belt is willing to sign with you, you probably shouldn't sign him. Uh, And then there's Eric Hosmer, who is being paid the bulk of his salary by the Padres, who had to eat a bunch of it to trade him to the Red Sox last year to get him out of the way for the Josh Bell part of the Juan Soto trade. Red Sox are paying some of the guaranteed money. The Padres are paying a lot of it. So if you sign him, you don't have to spend very much. And I will admit, I very flippantly uh, said he was terrible when his discussion came up on the wonderful um, Musk box, Elon Musk box, the Twitter. And I took a longer look, and I, I want to apologize to Eric in recent years, he hasn't been terrible. He's merely been mediocre, which honestly, for the Cubs, would probably be progress. Um, as we talked about on the, this came up on the season, on the year-end wrap-up, and David Brown was talking about him. The ironic thing is that while his offense in recent years has been okay, like he's been, he's been an above league average hitter now every year since. Um, from 2020 on, he's been league average or better. His defense, which was once elite, and he, he doesn't count on the list of the gold glove guys because clubs haven't signed him. He's got four gold gloves. And he really was a, in those World Series Royals teams, he was a difference maker on defense. You know, he was that good of a, of a defender. He is not that anymore. Um, is he better than uh, Patrick Wisdom or Trey Mancini? Probably. But here's the thing. If you sign Hosmer, and it turns out that Mervis is ready to play, what are you going to do with him? Are you going to DH him? You know, He's not going to play in another position. But on the other hand, I guess if you sign him, you're probably signing him for relatively close to the league minimum because you know, there's not a huge market for him, and he's already, his guaranteed money is being paid by two other teams, so you just cut him. That doesn't seem like a cub thing, though. But we'll see. I whether he counts against your collective—I always want to call it that—your competitive balance tax or not. You're, you're still getting Eric Hosmer, so maybe don't do that. How likely is it that they'll sign him? I think it's. 
I actually think it's kind of likely. Because I think... Um, I think it's either him or Manzini who they're going to sign. The other option would be his old um, Kansas City corner buddy, Mike Moustakas, who the Reds are paying a lot of money to to not play for them because he's been bad. He can play first, he can play third. Remember when the Reds played him at the Brewers started, right? Played him at second? Like, oh, for God's sakes. Um, I would I would pass. I mean, the Cubs could just reunite the old Royals World Series team's cornerstones of Moustakas and Hosmer. Um, I don't think you get a lot out of that, but you could do it. Let's let's not do that. And that's really kind of it at first base. Our old buddy, uh, Tommy LaStella, who I'm sure is playing video games and his parents again, just like he did when he when he left the team uh, during the World Series run because he didn't want to go to Iowa. And I, I can understand I don't want to go to Iowa, but that, that wasn't a great move. That even made Anthony Rizzo mad. It takes a lot. Anthony yelled at him when they had to have the clearing the air meeting when he came back. But they they accepted him to the point where he was back. He was on the World Series team. He wasn't on the World Series roster, but he was on the playoff roster, I think at least for the Giants series. Maybe for the... That might have been it. I don't think he was on the NLCS. I know he wasn't on the World Series roster. He's in the World Series video because he's the guy standing next to David Ross when David mic'd up. It says he just hit a home run in Game 7 off Andrew Miller, which he did. So at least you know Tommy was around. Um, you could theoretically play him at first base some. He's 34 now. Is that right? And he's had a Achilles tendon surgery. But the good news is he never had any range and he couldn't run before, so I don't know how much that would slow him down. Uh, but once again, you're talking about very little pop out of either first or DH. He does hit left, or he, um, he does hit righties, uh, but mostly singles. And now he needs a cart to get to first base. So I don't know if that helps all that much. But the other thing you could do is you could sign a third baseman. And then you could can, you could do the wisdom thing at first, which I don't I don't uh, recommend. But when do the Cubs listen to things I recommend? Um, there's two guys on this list. Uh, one of them is Matt Duffy. <laughs> can we just not do that again? Remember when Matt was saving the season uh, with his uh, singles? Uh, that ended about the way you thought it was going to end, which was poorly. Or another guy, you could move Gene Segura to third base. You know, he's he's already gone from shortstop. He's too heavy legged now to play short, so he played second for the Phillies, and he played pretty well. Um, and he's kind of built like a squatty little third baseman now. But once again, you wouldn't get much pop. Um, you would think defensively he could handle it, but I have a feeling he's he's going to sign to play second base somewhere. Like the White Sox should probably sign Gene Segura. He'd be a they had like the worst. They had the worst second baseman in all of baseball last year. I, I think they literally like 28th out of 30 out of production from second. So that they should probably sign him. But you know, the Cubs, you could sign him and you could, pl- you could play him at third and see if you can get by with that. But I don't know. Long term, it doesn't do anything for you. But you know, some, a lot of these moves have been short-term in nature, which is puzzling. I don't know what, we're, I don't know what they're building. 
I saw where Bert from Bleacher Nation looked at the roster and thought, oh, the Cubs could be an 85-win team. And I thought, I had no idea that the season is now 240 games long. But uh, he's at least optimistic. And then the last, uh, I was looking at potential DH outfield candidates. There's really not much. Uh, one name that jumps out there is uh, Corey Dickerson. Uh, a guy who he hit a home run against the Cubs for the Marlins. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the, when the Cubs were in the playoffs for like 26 hours in 2020? Lost both games to the Marlins, scored one run. The the game won the big blow. The Cubs were up one nothing after an Ian Happ homer. Corey Dickerson hit a three-run homer off a U. And um, into the basket. Opposite field into the basket. And that was pretty much the end of the playoffs for the Cubs. To show you how prestigious the gold glove in left field is, he's won it. Yes, he won one with the Marlins one year. So, No, with the Rays, I believe he won it. It doesn't matter, he's not good. All right, before we get to the pitchers, did you come up with your number for how many gold glove winners the Cubs have? Now, I'm not talking about total gold gloves because I was too lazy to count that up, but just how many guys have won at least one? And you're probably thinking Hap, Bellinger, Swanson. It's three. Maybe you remember that Tucker Barnhart won a couple with the Reds. The only reason we really enjoyed him winning them was that Yachty didn't win them those two years. So that was good. You'd be right. One, two, three, four. But that's not all. Because Marcus Stroman is also a gold glove winner. So the Cubs' current roster doesn't have a first baseman on it, doesn't have a third baseman on it, but it's got five gold glove winners. That and six bucks will get you a latte at Starbucks. So there you go. Um, And if you sign, you could sign Eric Hosmer and get another gold glove winner. You could sign Corey Dickerson and get another. You could you have seven gold glove winners. And a team that could probably score a run and a half a game, maybe. At least a week. So you got that. All right. So let's look at the part of the team that actually is pretty good. And that would be the pitching staff. And it depends how you want to break it down. Uh, I would say right now, if uh, the season started today, your starting rotation would likely be Marcus Stroman. Kyle, the return of Kyle Hendricks for what undoubtedly is the final season of him and the Cubs. New signee, Jamison Tyon. Uh, Justin Steele. And then your fifth starter would either be, I would think, Drew Smiley or Hayden Wesneski. I would start Wesneski because I think he's better. Um, but it would probably, I would think it would probably be Smiley. And then Wesneski, either in Iowa or in the bullpen. Uh, other starter candidates um, would be Keegan Thompson or the great Adrian Sampson. Now, there's a guy the Cubs really should hang their hat on. If you, if you don't remember what happened to Adrian last year, um, he put together pretty solid numbers for the Cubs. He, he got did, he get, did they trade him to the Mariners, or did they have to? I think maybe they lost him. Um, yes. In, in May, they had the Cubs tried to send him to Iowa, but he was out of options. And the Mariners uh, snapped him up. They said, woof, here we go. Here's a good 
inexpensive veteran uh, starting pitcher. They claimed him. They never pitched him. And less than two weeks later, they waived him again. And the Cubs claimed him. They got him back. So, actually, nobody... He cleared waivers that time. Um, For the Cubs, he made 19 starts. And... uh, He went 4-5 and with a 3-11. He gave up less than a hit an inning. Uh, He struck out a whopping 73 in 104 innings. But he only walked 27. He's a pitch-to-contact guy who... has vastly outperformed his peripherals the last two seasons when he had a 2.8 ERA for the Cubs and a 3.11 ERA for the Cubs. Basically, he's been smoking mirrors for two years, but uh, sure, let's pencil him right in to the pitching staff. Um, I hope he's good. You know, you can use as many guys you can get. I just wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't hang my hat on Adrian Sampson. Then there's other guys like, Anderson Espinoza and other guys, but I didn't put them them on this list. Right now, I've, I've left three potential f- other starters, which would be Drew Smiley, Keegan Thompson, and Adrian Sampson. Two guys that I really don't want to see are Mark Leiter Jr. And I only want to see Michael Rucker come back if they make him shave his mustache. I guess Rucker's a, Rucker's a bullpen guy anyway, but um, you can't see this, but if you could, you'd see that I wrote it off on the side of my notes with Mark Leiter Jr. I just, I don't ever want to see Mark Leiter Jr. again. I just don't. And I had Rucker written over there too, mostly because I wanted to see him shave his mustache off. So that's what we're talking about him right now. Uh, Bullpen-wise, uh, they signed Brad Boxberger. I assume um, they don't. They don't have a closer. I was really surprised. I know John Greenberg kind of chuckled when I mentioned this in the podcast with him. I really thought that the Cubs would make a, a strong push to bring Craig Kimbrell back with the idea that the last time he was good was under their fabulous pitch lab tutelage, um, which I think would appeal to him and to them because he was so bad last year with the Dodgers where he lost his closer job. Uh, they had to kind of give it back to him. He changed his... Uh, interest music to uh, let it go for a while. I'm sure the fans love that. That worked for a little while, and then it didn't. Uh, he was still using the weird man bun thing, which I think he's got. It's Is it a man bun? If It's it's like a half ponytail, right? It's kind of like the Tom Cruise um, thing that he had uh, in whatever movie that was where he played the motivational speaker guy. That's why I need a second person to fill in my vague cultural references. Uh, the one with the frogs can't think of it um and then Kimbrell got left up I mean the Dodgers who won 111 games were only in the playoffs for like five days but uh, Kimbrell was not there for even those five uh, but the Phillies got him for 10 million with some incentives I think that was a pretty sharp move for them would like to see the Cubs do that because either you get a, a low cost closer who you keep and he hopefully pitches well. If he doesn't, it's just money. And Or you can flip him at the deadline. And maybe you could work out another great trade and get another uh, Nick Madrigal. No, well, maybe we don't want to do that. Speaking of Nick Madrigal, uh, this should be the return of Cody Hoyer, who was actually the good part 
of that trade for the Cubs. And then he caught Tommy John disease, but uh, he's recovered now from Tommy John disease. He will be back, and hopefully will be back into the bullpen. Uh, one of the things the Cubs have going for him with this bullpen is you have the potential of two multi-inning guys who might actually be good at it, Keegan Thompson and Adbert Elzeley. Um, I think Keegan, to me, still has a chance to become a starter. Adbert, I think, probably doesn't. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um because Everett was really good out of the bullpen when he was healthy. And you need guys like that. You need your bullpen more than ever these days. So Everett can still serve a very important role on this team. I don't know if he's ever going to evolve into a closer, but he could still be a very useful uh, person. They only have one uh, lefty, and that's Brandon Hughes. So you figure he's going to make it. Um, I'm sure Brad Wick is still floating around there somewhere. Um, in three years with the Cubs, Brad Wick has pitched 28 innings. He has a 193 ERA, though, when he pitches. He's good when he pitches. 48 strikeouts in 28 innings. So clearly he's a guy you would like to have pitching for you, but he just doesn't pitch very much. And it's been a variety of ailments, including uh, heart surgery. Um, but he's still... He's still around, I believe. If he's not, he's he's gettable. <laughs> he might be one of the guys who cleared waivers. But I think he's still on there. I think he's still on the 40-man. He's not. So they'd have to, have to reacquire him. I don't think that would be an issue. But anyway, um, but the reason I thought of that is they do still have Rowan Wick, who I guess right now would be the closer? I mean, he... Nothing hurts a mediocre team more than blowing the few ninth-inning leads that they get, and the Cubs are going to need to figure out something. That doesn't mean you need to go out and pay a big-money closer, but you got to find somebody. And I don't know if they, I don't know if they currently have that because I don't. I know that Brad Boxberger was not brought in to be the closer. He's brought in to be uh, a late-inning reliever, but not necessarily the closer. Where's uh, Brandon Morrow? Is he still putting his pants on in a closet somewhere? They could probably get him back. So anyway, you kind of wonder what the future of Kyle Hendricks is. He was not good last year. Um, and he didn't really finish 2021 very well. And, you know, he's one of those guys where, um, I mean, we love him. He's a he's one of our World Series heroes. He won, he won the pennant for the Cubs in 2016. Outdual Clayton Kershaw. So we love Kyle Hendricks, um, but he's he's a low-velocity right-hander who, as he ages, he loses a mile or two off the fastball, and now it's a lot closer to the breaking pitch velocity, and they just become easier to hit. Now, one of the good things, though, was that the Cubs basically felt like he really could have pitched through the injury he had last year, and they said, well, it's stupid. Shut him down, get him 100% healthy for 2023, because if he came back and he was pretty good, you'd really have a nice rotation. Um, even without him, I would I would guess that the most likely thing, if, he's, if he either can't go or he's bad, then your rotation becomes Stroman, Tyon, Steele, Smiley, Wesneski. Um, which, they've had worse ones. But that's it. That's your team right now. 
and it's a team that's offense is not good. And it's as ironically, the offense wasn't good last year, and it's probably worse on paper this year. The defense could be excellent, which helps. Your pitching could be good. So he's like, ooh, pitching and defense. Well, yeah, I mean, right now you're set up to lose a lot of games 4-1. There are, there were other moves to make. The The whole thing about the offseason was either you get one of the big shortstops, Bogarts, Turner, or Correa, or you sign Swanson and you get a big bat somewhere else. Well, they went with Route B, but they didn't get the big bat anywhere else. And... I don't know where you're going to get one. Um, if the idea is, well, we'll trade for one, I don't know what you have to trade. You didn't even have enough to trade for Sean Murphy, and the A's got kind of an underwhelming package for him. Um, and he wouldn't have been your big bat anyway. He would have been a an upgraded catcher. Certainly over what you got, and maybe even over what you had. Um, but if the idea is, well, we've got all these prospects, we're going to trade them trade a couple and we're going to get some big bat you don't have that level of prospects you know i know the prospect perverts love the cup system but basically what the cup system has right now is a lot of guys who look like they might be pretty good big leaguers you know there's no there is no like top end prospects down there there's nobody who's you know sitting you know one two or three on anybody's top 100 could Brennan Davis be that if he stayed healthy? No. But could he be a top 10? Probably. I mean, there's a guy I think could be a really good player for you, but, you know, that he had progressed about as well as you could want until he got hurt, and that's not his fault that he got hurt. But I put a pause on it, and now you've got to wait and see how he restarts. Your hope is... You know, they didn't expect him to play well at Iowa when they act. They were just happy to get him healthy enough that he got at bats at the end of the season. They figured, you know, he's been laying on a gurney <laughs> for two months, three months. Everybody else has been playing. He's behind. He's going to struggle at Iowa, and he did. Uh, they sent him to the fall league, and they had to shut him down. And they'll tell you, it was just, you know, pretty, it was expected soreness because of the back surgery. But that wasn't a great sign. They couldn't make it through the whole fall league season. But like I said earlier in this podcast, you know, even the best case for him is he shows up with spring training healthy, he plays well in spring training, he goes to Iowa, and he plays there for a while. Gets enough at-bats where you feel, where you feel comfortable enough to promote him. Um, but this isn't calling up 19-year-old Bryce Harper. You know, this is, you know, you don't have that kind of impact. And then even if you're wildly optimistic about Pete Crow Armstrong, that's next. That's 2024 at the earliest that he's ready, and then he'll be a rookie, and he'll have to adjust. And you have to hope that the offensive strides he made in 2022 are real and lasting, and can translate going up the farm system. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who really like Kevin. It's either Alcantara or Alcantara. I will have to ask Glenn Casper. One of my favorite things ever was when. Um, Aris Mendy Alcantara was playing for the Cubs and we had been calling him Alcantara when he was coming up through the system because we didn't know any better and then Len started calling him Alcantara and people got really mad at Len saying you're pronouncing it wrong and he was basically like well you know who I asked? I asked him. (laughs) 
And he said it's Alcantara. So I'm going to call him Alcantara. So I don't know if, if Kevin is Alcantara or Alcantara. We'll find out when he gets there, I guess. Um, but that's he's a ways off. And there's obviously two ways prospects can impact your team. They can either come up and be good players for you, or you can use them to trade for other good players. And I, it certainly doesn't feel like, while the Cub Farm system, yes, is improved and needed to be, it doesn't seem like they have anybody at the level yet where you're going to trade them for impact, for an impact player. You know, if if it's if if this was if the, if Juan Soto was suddenly available this year instead of last year, the Cubs can't put together a package like the Padres did to get it. They don't they don't have the high end prospects. Um, even with the guys they got from the Padres, <laughs> ironically in the U Darvish trade. So, where are you going to get the other big bat? You're. The honest thing is you're just not. You're going to have to make do with what you've got. And then maybe sometime during the season, somebody becomes unexpectedly available, which does happen. And maybe your minor league system, some of those guys have graduated to a higher level, and people are like, you know what, this guy's really good. Maybe you can make one. But as sitting here right now, you don't really have a path to get a big bat. You can't trade for one because you don't have the assets. And there's nobody left to sign. Uh, but hey, at least you intelligently spent. You know, then there's the issue right now with Carlos Correa, who people jumped all over the Giants when the Giants flunked him in his physical. And Steve Cohen s- swept in and offered him, instead of 13 years, 350, like the Giants, he offered him 12 years, 315. And basically said, the physical won't be an issue. And then a few days later, he took the physical, and the Mets said, uh, the physical is an issue. And it all seems to stem back to 2014 when he broke his, his fibula and his ankle on an awkward slide back when he was playing Class A ball. And he had some ligament damage, and he had to have a plate put in his shin, basically. Somewhere in the leg. I don't know if it's his shin or on the back. Somewhere on there. And he still has it. And when a lot of people made the big deal that like, the Astros didn't have a problem with it, well, didn't they or didn't they? Because while they were locking up all their, their as many of their young players as they could, they they didn't really ever make a super aggressive offer to Correa. Now, part of that could have been that they had Jeremy Pena, who ended up being the World Series MVP, behind him. Maybe that was part of it. But also, but it could very well be that they they obviously knew his medical better than anybody, and were like, okay, this dude is going to be he's fine now, but sometime in his thirties. His leg's going to fall off. And let's let it fall off for some other team. And they're like, well, the Twins didn't fail him. Well, the Twins signed into a, a, basically a one-year deal with an option. So they were only on the hook for him as age 27 and 28 years at the most. So they weren't terribly worried about it. Teams that were terribly worried about it now are teams who might have him until he's 40. And you can look at him and say physically, you know, athletically, I guess is a better term, He's a guy that probably should be able to stay on shortstop for a long time. When it's time for him to leave short, he could certainly scoot over to third base. And while he may not be a really good player when he's 38, 39, or 40, he'd be such a good player from age 28 to age 37 that you get all the value out of him. You know, But then if you look at his medical and you're like, well, he might not be able to play shortstop 
three or four years from now, if this thing starts to, you know, if his ankle becomes a chronic injury, now it's not eating the last two or three years of a deal where he put up huge numbers at the beginning. You might be eating the majority of the contract. And even the Mets, who will just, you know, crap out money, are like, I don't know if that's a good idea. And that's why it was my idea that, you know, if I'm the Cubs and now you're sitting there and you didn't, there are no big bats. And suddenly there's Carlos again, your third crack at him. Why don't you swoop in and make him a, a big offer? And I, I, I think I way underestimated it when I said offer him four one forty, thirty five million a year for four years. Maybe you need to offer him like four one sixty. Pay him forty million dollars a year for four years. And oh my God, that might that'll put us in the, the CBT. Well, tough shit. You know, if it's only four years. One thing that people don't realize with the Cubs this year is that they actually have more money to spend next year than this year. Because this year they still have Jason Hayward's money on the books, and they've got this is the final year of Kyle Hendricks, and Stroman has an option for next year that he may very well opt out of. He's most likely going to opt out of it. Um, they can clear like another $90 million off the books next year. You could You could do a second huge signing, go over the CBT for this year, and get under it next year without having to do much. Because honestly, the free agent class next year isn't very good. There's Being 90 million under next year isn't going to do you that much good unless your goal is to not go over it, which I think is kind of what their goal is. So you could you could do it. You could go over this year, be under, and then maybe be over it again for two more years, and then Carlos is off your deal, and you can get under it again. You know, the, the teams that are, are the best at that are the Dodgers. Well, it used to be the Dodgers and the Yankees, where they would go over it, and then they would... Take a year, still have a good team, and slip under it to reset the tax. The Yankees, for the most part, the last few years haven't bothered to go over it. But the Dodgers ride it like a um, like a roller coaster, which is what you're supposed to do if you're a big market team. And they're not worried about the financial penalties; they're trying to avoid the draft pick penalties. And the that's the other frustrating thing about this about the Cubs only half-assing it this year is that. If you look at the Dodgers as the big bad team in the National League, and you should because they are, they're t- they're having to take a step back this year. You know, like they lost Trey Turner and they haven't been able to replace him, and they've lost Justin Turner and they haven't gone out to find somebody. They signed J.D. Martinez. Um, you know, they're they're taking flyers on pitchers they can rehab again. Like they got Thor, they got Noah Syndergaard, but they were worried that. Uh, Trevor Bauer's suspension would be cut down, and then all of a sudden the money that they didn't have to pay him this year, they'd have to pay again. And they even there was the fear that all of his suspension would get taken away, and even though obviously you can't retroactively go back and have him played, that they might owe him money from years previous, which I think they do now. I think they do owe him a little bit from last year. So... They're basically that that shot like a twenty-some million dollar hole back into their budget. Now he's never going to pitch for them again, but their money, his money, is on their books, and they have to account for it. Which meant they couldn't, they didn't want to at least, they didn't want to go crazy and spend this year plus have the Bauer money on it and go way over and then get more severe penalties. They're basically going to slide under the CBT, at least under the certainly under the second level. I think maybe maybe even under the first. And then next year they'll be back to throwing their weight around again. And that is a franchise that can trade for uh, impact players and give them big contract extensions. So 
if you look at what well, you just said, there's not much of a free agent class next year, and there's not what the Dodgers going to do. You know, I mean, the Dodgers got Mookie, and he wasn't a free agent. They were able to, to give up the players to get him, and the, they were able to give him the big contract extension. That's the kind of thing they're going to do. But if you're a National League team right now, like the Mets, or the Braves, or the Cubs, you've got a clear path this year to win a pennant because the Dodgers aren't going to be able to load up as much as they normally do. You kind of have a one-year reprieve, and you're like, well, they've only won World World Series during this whole run, yes, but they're still a big pain in the ass. As the, the Giants won 108 games two years ago and didn't get out of the first round of the playoffs because they had to play the Dodgers. Dodgers didn't win that World Series that year, but they certainly impacted the Giants' ability. If the Giants, you know, the Braves won the World Series that year, but if the Giants had gotten past the Dodgers... The Giants matched up really well with the Braves in the next round. The Dodgers were hurt, and their pitching was out of whack, and they were ripe for the pickings, and the Braves got them. That may have cost the Giants a World Series. Um, so what am I babbling on about? I'm babbling on about if if you're the Cubs and your idea is, okay, we'll get a little better this year, and then next year we'll make a run at it. Now you've got the Dodgers back in your way again, firmly in your way again. You know, there, there is no... There's clearly no sense of urgency with this with the Cubs, and part of it, I think, is their feeling, which I believe is 100% wrong, that under the new playoff system, just get in the playoffs. If 85 wins, the Magic Bleacher Nation number that he thinks they're going to win, which I don't know how you can win it with the roster we just went through. 85 wins, get in the playoffs, and then you can be the Phillies. Well, I mean, we know we already talked about in past podcasts the flaw in that idea. That idea is the Phillies were a star-studded team when they got to the playoffs with Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler at the top of their rotation, two bona fide aces at the top with Bryce Harper and JT Real Muto in the middle of their lineup. You know, guys like Schwarber and Castellanos. Nick. One of the things I loved about the playoffs was John Smoltz, every time he mentioned Nick Castellanos, Nick batted or, you know, fell down trying to chase a fly ball or whatever, said, oh, he's going to be so much better next year. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he will be, but maybe he won't be. But anyway, if you compare those two rosters, you know, the Phillies were a team that I'm sure other teams looked at and said, that's a, t- that's a roster, that's a top-heavy roster that would be really tough to beat in the postseason. So if they get in, they could be a real problem. Whereas the Cub roster, you might look at and say, they might win the same number of regular season games, but it's a roster that is without much impact players in it. And that's what wins games in October, and they just don't have it. The good news, I think, if you're Jed, is that right now your team's not good enough to make it. So it won't be a big... You won't have a disappointing playoff run because you won't be in it. Anyway, so that's kind of the state of the Cubs roster as we sit here right now. The good news is there's lots of time to fix it. The bad news is I don't see a roadmap for them to acquire players that can really impact it. Um, but you never know. That's why they play the games. Anyway, I want to thank all of you for uh, for all the time you spent reading and listening and doing all the other stuff with us this year. And um, we'll be back in the new year, uh, ready to go at it all again. Uh, we certainly should have an improved Cubs team to follow, just not as improved as we all want them to be. So... Thanks a lot, and I will uh, talk to you guys later. Many of us have herpes.